Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yeah, now is the time on Masters when we talk about songs. Um, I'm in a Sprockets place and I have no way out of it gracefully, so I'll just lumber back to the main topic, which is, hello, it's episode 225 of Markets Air Talk About Songs. You probably know what that means. Before we elaborate, I'm your host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here, among others, with my co-host, the span fandiferous Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Touch the monkey, Sarah. Touch him. Love him. Um, I will, because this is an episode all about Prince songs. W- would you like to introduce our guest and explain yes. what the hell we're doing in here? Yes. How many more Sprockets jokes can we have today? Hopefully none. Well, we'll maybe. Yeah, we'll we'll see. find out. Anyway, yes, uh, you might remember him from episodes such as the ranking of Holes Live Through This or the Jastis episode about Till Tuesday. I am so pleased to welcome back to the Mastis universe, John Ramos. Hello, John. John. Hello, hello Mark. And here's hello, Chris Sarah. and Bell to welcome you also. John Ramos. and john i am pleased to let the listeners know that our theme today came from you and when you emailed us about it we not only realized well damn that's an amazing theme but damn we have to have john on the show to help us dig into this excellence so do you want to give us uh give us a reminder and perhaps the listeners their first glimpse of what our theme is going to be certainly well our first glimpse would be if i were to tell you both that you the collective letter U got the look. <laughs> um, so this topic came to me in realization of the fact that it was coming up when you, actually when you did your ranking album on Prince, um, I think late last year, uh, yep. it kind of triggered in my mind that uh, upcoming was going to be the five-year anniversary of his very unfortunate death. Um, and something that also occurred to me is that while you've done a lot of ranking episodes on actual songs, you haven't really done them in the layer of like writing, basically. So, you know, since Prince had such a long tail, you know, such a such an influence over the music industry with stuff that he did not necessarily perform, um, I thought it would be a really cool idea to honor his fi- the five year anniversary of his death by discussing songs that he wrote, but is not well-known for performing or is not majorly known for performing, even though many of these versions uh, he did his own. But the song is famous by uh, for its performance by someone else. So Which you know, there's I a think lot is, to choose from. But <laughs> yeah, and I think it's such a great idea, and you just hit on what I was about to say. We're going to be discussing 10 of these songs today and ranking them, but we are by no means discussing every single song that you might know as performed by someone other than Prince, even though Prince wrote it. Or perhaps to put it more succinctly, we are not discussing every well-known Prince cover. We're just discussing 10 that we feel are especially representative. And before Sarah gives us the rundown of how our rankings roll around here, I'll just let you know that we will be discussing the following songs in this order, alphabetical by title. The Glamorous Life by Shayla E., I Feel For You by Shaka Khan, Jerk Out by The Time, 
Love Thy Will Be Done by Martika, Manic Monday by The Bangles, Nasty Girl by Vanity Six, Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor, Round and Round by Tevin Campbell, Sugar Walls by Sheena Easton, and When You Were Mine by Cindy Lauper. Now, Sarah, how do we rank things here? <laughs> as mm-hmm. often as we can. Um, <laughs> that's not actually how uh, we rank things here. Um, so we have 10 songs to contemplate today, as we said. We are going through them in the uh, order aforementioned. And uh, as we go along, each of us, John, Mark, and myself, will assign a points value to the song based on its uh, ranking, duh, um, in the list. So, for instance, my number one song would get 10 points, number two songs get nine points, so on down the list. At the end, uh, we will tot up all the totals, and uh, the results will have the force of law. Just kidding. They won't. Um, so yeah, we'll be, uh, we won't be saving our rankings until the end. You get a ranking of each song as it happens. Occasionally there will be a clip. Occasionally there will be tears. It's a, it's a very emotional, intense process. Listeners, we're glad you're along for the ride. And John, we're glad that uh, an experienced ranker such as yourself has joined us for this. <laughs> And we also want to say also, we're very happy that our patrons are along for the ride as well. Patrons who uh, are members at Patreon.com have participated in these rankings. They voted at Patreon.com slash Mastis, and their rankings will also factor into the final scores. And if you would like to participate in the most important votes of this and every year, all you have to do is become a patron at Patreon.com slash Mastis. Now, y'all, I want to say this up front, and this is my opening salvo I guess it's a gauntlet being thrown, but unlike many of the ranking episodes, Sarah, that you and I have done, I don't think there are any shitty songs in this group. I actually Hmm. think, shocking statement, Prince was a genius, and all 10 of these songs are at least pretty good. Um, I think none of them is boring. (laughs) True, yes. (laughs) Oh, wait. I actually think a couple of them are extremely boring, given uh, the author. But um, I was not bored thinking about this like one of the one of the most um, exciting things for me in this ranking process was to look at a song that worked versus the songs that didn't and be like why like what are the differences here in terms of the um, artist's approach and how princey they're letting the song be and so on and so forth mm. we'll get into details when we start talking about the actual songs which i guess we should start doing yeah so uh To kick it off, let's start with The Glamorous Life by Sheila E., which we don't have a clip of because we did discuss it recently in our, I believe it was our Dubious Heroes episode. Mm -hmm. Was that right, Sarah? I think so. John, we haven't heard you talk about The Glamorous Life on this show, so what are your thoughts on Sheila E.'s uh, uh, expose of a girl who doesn't need much? Uh, Well, first off, I want to say... I don't know if you two had the same experience, but one of the other things that got me really excited about it is just really going down the Wikipedia rabbit holes that uh, that all these songs uh, afforded. Mm-hmm. Because Prince being such a nexus of so many other artists, you know, like reading up on, and I'll have more to say on some of these songs later for sure, but just reading up on the inter- interconnectivity of so many of these acts is was really interesting. Um and on that note, I did not know, although you may have, I don't remember if you discussed this in the time, but that Sheila E's grand, uh, godfather was Tito Puente, 
that's yes. pretty amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> and explains why she was known as the queen of percussion um uh so i think this song you know this song is in my dna for sure you know this is right right yeah. when i was a teenager it was everywhere it's a it's fun it's a great song any song that can get me behind a sax solo is doing pretty well I think. <laughs> um, absolutely and the story of the song is good i think it gets a little repetitive at the end but the music mm-hmm. still makes it fun um it's not even my favorite song of hers i like uh, a love bazaar better um but it still certainly holds up after all these years um so i don't have a ton to say about it that you didn't already say but you know i will never be mad at the song so and I will just add that I recently read a fantastic memoir by a music critic named Rob Sheffield called Turn Around Bright Eyes, in which he talks about karaoke as this cultural force. It's a brilliantly written memoir, uh, especially about how karaoke pulled him out of grief after the death of his wife. But in one chapter, he goes to rock and roll fantasy camp, and he gets stuck with the tambourine. But then Sheena, uh, Sheila E. comes to speak at the camp, and she's like, you're playing the Tams. I made my fortune off the Tams. And then he's like, oh, fuck. I fucking love the Tams. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, John, where did you end up ranking this song? Uh, I ranked this five. Um, and again, not because I'm mad at it, only because there's a few that I like better. But um, yep. but it's certainly you know in the, in the top echelon of uh, Prince Penn songs for me. Yeah, so that's fifth place, six points. And I am similar. I put it in sixth place five points uh sarah how about you shots fired uh this is my number one so <gasps> oh damn Mark and sarah talk about songs um yeah and it really was not super close um Whoa. this song definitely is um one of those songs that it holds up really well despite being utterly of its time which is very impressive to me i think the balance between prince coming through and the artist who is, you know, the artist never formerly known as Prince, who is responsible for the song, sort of being able to control that force of his. I think this is one of the best balances on the list. Um, there is an argument to be made later on in the alphabet, certainly. Um, and he, that drum line at the bridge is like him in drum break form. So it's it's really an interesting um, marriage of like father and child in in this way. But I also just like it's such a fun story that it's immediately recognizable. It's so dancey. I just love it. It's a wonderful song and wonderfully um, wonderfully imagined by Ms. E. Well, this is a great reason that we should revisit songs from time to time because I love that in this context, Sheila E. is your top. Yeah. Whoa. I My jaw hit the floor, Sarah. It truly did. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, d- tell it to get comfortable because. <laughs> oh, I know. Girl, I've been I've been texting Sarah and John listeners with messages like it's about to get crazy. And I think that I'm not the only one that's going to make it crazy today. <laughs> yeah. No, you're really not. Um, yeah. There's one song that when we get to it, I'm going to advise you to settle in because we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> So I will add that the patrons put this song in fourth place with seven points. So really a very strong showing for Ms. E. Okay. Uh, Next, we've got Shaka Khan's I Feel For You. And we decided as a group that this is a song that would get a clip 
that none of us would individually have to call for. Uh, it just gets to have a clip because it's I Feel For You. So without further ado, here's a taste of Shaka Khan's I Feel For You. talk about in my dna dang um i well uh, mark why don't you begin <laughs> okay oh okay here we go <laughs> i i feel like nobody wants to go there do, do you want me to just blunder into the no charge? i'll just say <laughs> i don't really care for this song oh thank god Okay. Whew. I thought I was walking oh, out of here. God. I really was like, let me put on this bulletproof vest. I literally had like a helmet and some Velcro. Oh my God, Sarah. Oh, this marriage is going to last forever. Um, so here's my, here's my read on this song, which as I said at the start of this episode, it's fine. There are no terrible songs on this list. But this song to me does an extreme disservice to the excellence of Shaka Khan. She is someone who can sing for the gods. If you listen to a song like Ain't Nobody, I'm Every Woman, Tell Me Something Good, this is a woman whose vocal gift is pretty much unrivaled for her era. And to me, Prince forces her to become part of a tapestry of sound that diminishes her as an artist. And he does this in the service of a song that does very little dynamically. So I would be able to respect more the degradation of Shaka Khan's position in this in this track uh-huh. if the track right. itself were more interesting. But this like nice rhythm that it creates, this nice vibe, it doesn't really change. And the song goes on for seven minutes. And if it weren't for yes, Melly Mel from Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five rapping Shaka Khan's name, I don't know that I would remember this song really. And uh, I didn't actually clip anything from Melly Mel in the clip because I felt like it was important for me, because I ended up being the one on clip duty for this song, to just demonstrate that without that rap, I don't know how much is there. So for me, that being said, it's not my least favorite song because it's still got a little something. Uh, so I ended up putting it in eighth place. with Wow. Three yeah, eighth place. And I really thought there was a time when I thought it might be tenth. But it's not. Oh damn! <laughs> I mean, I really, I just really, it does nothing for me. Dang! I, I mean, John, you go first because I think this might be one that, like, we sort of it is in our DNA, but that's like a value neutral situation based on like having been a bit older when it was omnipresent at like yeah. school dances, totally inappropriately. So, John, how, how did you feel about this one? Yeah, so this is, you know, a little bit complicated because when you said it's in your DNA, like, I could not agree more, even down to the fact that, like, 
I don't think any song makes me like involuntarily move more than this one. <laughs> and you see it in the video even when it starts and she's like, you see the back view of her and she's holding the fence and she's starting to like move her body and getting into it. <laughs> but that's like, that's the music part. It's not the singing part. And I agree yeah. that this is not that, you know, if you think about Ain't Nobody or even like, yeah. Even just the backing vocals that she does on Higher Love, like, Ooh, you know, this yeah. doesn't this doesn't compare at all. It's just not it's just not a challenge for her and that's more a testament to her than anything else, I think. Yeah. And agreed. this is also an interesting exercise and a lot of these have not as well known as the cover but still relatively well known versions that Prince actually sung himself. So if you look at those as a baseline, like his version is fine, but it's just like it's not that ambitious and it's not that interesting, in my opinion. Um, so I agree. There's only so much that I, I love the reimagining of it with with the rap at the beginning. I think that's really cool. And Grandmaster Melly Mel is also you know from the same uh, '80s wheelhouse that that I that I grew up loving. Um, but I don't know. You know, all Prince songs are. Uh, well, 99% of Prince songs are 99% about sex all the time, but this one is kind of, um, this Wait, one is what? kind of not, Explain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I'd want to hear like Shaka do a cover of like erotic city necessarily, but like <laughs> even ain't nobody is about sex and she still, you know, manages to like belt that one out and really feel it. Um, so yeah, I put this one in seven. I'm, you know, kind of, kind of in the same place. Ooh. That I ranked this the highest of the three of us is like, <laughs> oh my God, the, like stop the roller coaster already. I want to get off. Um, I think I could not appreciate this song when it was super everywhere because I was 11. It was actually hard to dance slash roller skate to. Um, I, as a kid, had no context really for Shaka Khan. Um and it seemed to be talking about grown-up things, uh, the song, in a way that was, like, much more obviously, like, not for us and keeping us at a distance than, like, all pop music is, like, too old for whoever's listening to it, really. <laughs> um, except, like, don't worry, be happy, but the less said, etc. cetera. Um, <laughs> I think, Mark, you're so right that, like, it, it seems determined to just, like, bury her in a pile of, like, other people and be like well good luck fight your way out and then of course she does but then by the end you're like i'm exhausted i mean i i hate the harmonica i don't care that it's stevie wonder i hate the moog i don't care that it's david frank like why why do you have all of these dudes in here quote helping her all you're doing is burying what she does well right which should pair with what prince does well but it's just kind of a b minus for for both of them it's just too hectic and the vocal is not for her particularly impressive uh i just feel locked out of it emotionally and sensually if that makes any sense mm -hmm. with that said i feel like there were uh bigger failures on the list so i put it at number six five points you know what, though? That's interesting because I feel like going into this, I would have just assumed that this song was going to sail to the podium. Mm, yeah, me too. Uh, and in fact, it is third place for the patrons. Uh, but I don't think that we're going to be seeing it on the metal table come the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to take a quick sidebar, if I may, now that Higher Love by Steve Winwood has been invoked. 
there was a time when I went to a conference, I guess, for a day for this organization called Oneness University, which the title alone really should have tipped me off. But it was just like this crazy fucking cult thing where they were like making you sit on the ground and like be touched by the guru and it's all this shit about like give us more money to get more understanding and but i was young but at the i'll never forget the moment i realized i had to get out of there was when they had a dance break and everyone was unironically dancing to higher love as though it were telling us the secrets of the universe and i will (laughs) never forget a wild-eyed woman with two long pigtails reaching to me as though she were pulling me forward into my spiritual oneness so and saying dance with us and i just remember i was like no, I said it so gutturally, and I left. So, I love <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like wow. the song is almost like maybe the construction of the song gives away why why we're so unsatisfied because it's like you know the rap at the beginning is like setting Shaka up to be like such a queen, and she is, but like it feels like it's it's also her day off, so she's not going to sing yeah. that. Hard. Like, <laughs> she's got bunny slippers on. Yeah. <laughs> And she's then she's like, you know, yeah, you Stevie can worship like me. Stevie's like tootling away, and she's like, do I even have to be here? Totally. <laughs> she, she, or she's like, she like, if you're going to play that fucking harmonica, I'm not taking this robe off. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that brings us next to a song that was written in 1981, but did not become a single until 1990 when it peaked at number nine. This is Jerk Out by The Time. And I don't think we have a clip of this, right? We don't, and um, I sort of regret that. Here's what I really regret. This album also has a uh, song called Donald Trump Black Version, <laughs> which, is a, which is a total bedroom jam. Um, I mean, the time, holy shit. Also, I can't believe this was their highest charting song. That's yeah. crazy to me. The charts are sometimes wrong. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because I mean, when I, I mean, it's this is later, obviously. So it was, you know, when I was already in college, but you could not turn on MTV in the mid '80s without seeing uh, "Jungle Love" on, uh, yeah. on yeah, the video for "Jungle Love." So I'm a little surprised too. But I mean, maybe they sort of didn't count. Like maybe Morris Day is like in a different, considered in a different lane, but like. This is even dirtier than Jungle Love, but it's also hilarious. Like, I don't know. I I super enjoyed this jam. Um, <laughs> like, what's your number, girl? Hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's sort of like the Positive K song that he's just like, he thinks he's got so much game. And she's like, um, may I introduce you to righty and lefty because I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like can i you know do you want to go back to my place can i bring my friend and he's like i would love that and she's like barf i, I mean it's it is hilarious this is my number three eight Whoa. points oh rock on and then did you did you happen to rewatch the video i did not oh i the did video, <laughs> the video for this song is hilarious like it's so funny up, like, oh my god they they end up going to a country line dance and picking up all these girls and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who are in the time and also co-produced this track, are there. And they get all these girls in the back of a cab or the back of a convertible. And then they drop them off by an ATM and then they throw money at them. I, it's just crazy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty funny because the, the lyrics reference references BMW. But this is actually a Mercedes because apparently only Mercedes makes a convertible that's 50 feet long and has a jacuzzi in the back. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god and is pink by the way but oh my god i'm not mad See, at any of those things <laughs> i am i am not at the least bit angry at any of those things either oh man okay well john how how did you end up ranking this here too um so i only listened to the um the radio version i did not uh, download the explicit one i did look up the lyrics they are interesting um i do not feel qualified to uh, remark on them any further but i think there's a reason you can't find that version very easily but it's pretty uh you know i may i may still download it it looks pretty cool there, there are um, issues of affirmative consent and i will leave it at that mm-hmm, to, uh, yeah. understand <laughs> know that i understand them but, was um, but i rank this funk. fourth i think it's really uh it's it's really cool well Okay, okay, okay. That's third place from Sarah. Fourth oh. place from John. Last place for me. Wow. Okay. And it's you, like you put Martika ahead of this. Oh my Wait, God. say what? <gasps> Justice for the time. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just. No, no, I just didn't. I didn't hear what you. What did you say, though? You put Martika ahead of this. Oh my god! Oh, she's she's next. We'll get yeah, there. Um, when I was when I was a teenager, whenever I saw Morris Day on on TV, I was like, that dude is living his best life. Like, he absolutely. Listen, was. here's the thing. Here's the thing. The thing is, I really enjoyed watching the video. The song has got a nice groove, but for me, it's just. It's kind of the Shaka Khan problem. It's just, I want more to be happening. I just mm-hmm. am not attuned to music, to songs that are this long that don't change very much. So it's just fair. It's not a song. I'm not mad at this song. Morris Day is definitely funny and great and an excellent frontman, excellent showman. He's excellent in the movie Purple Rain. But for me, mm-hmm. it was 10th place. And I will say also for the patrons. So. Both of us put it in last place. I'm mad and disappointed, but maybe you can make it up to me when we talk about the next song. Maybe. Okay, well, the next song is the aforementioned, um, I think I suspect how you feel about it, Sarah. (laughs) This is Love, Thy Will Be Done by Martika. More like Thy Won't Be Done Soon Enough, (laughs) am I right? And I I called for a clip. Oh, God, should I get out of the car? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I called for a clip, so here we go. Here's a clip from Love That Will Be Done by Martika, a number oh, 10 hit in 91. A, f- a full minute. Why you hate us, Mark? Maybe we should let John go first. <laughs> Let's do that. 
Um, I had actually never heard this before. Um, <laughs> Even though it was a number 10 hit. I just want to re- re- True, reiterate. True, yes. Um, <laughs> I'll keep this short so we can get to the uh, the main attraction here, which is YouTube discussing it, I think. Um, you know, it's interesting that you said, uh, you know, a couple of your other songs you felt weren't a journey because that is, you know, the biggest problem for me on this one. It feels like a hymn. Um, you know, it's not that her voice is unpleasant, but... Um, <laughs> And I don't feel weird associating Prince with spirituality at all. But I mean, for me, when you're making Sophie B. Hawkins, as I lay me down to sleep, seem subtle <laughs> by comparison, you're not doing a great job. Um, and I'm going to leave it at that. So. Well, and where did you rank it? Uh, eighth. Okay. Seems high. That's uh, three points from John. Uh, I will say that the patrons put it in seventh place and gave it four points. Um, Sarah? Um, I'm glad everyone's sitting down. Last place, one point. <laughs> um, th- this was still interesting to th- to think about in terms of like why I was both bored and annoyed, at least until we got to the last <laughs> third of the song, at which time I was bored, annoyed, and also in pain. Like, this vocal is... Um, confusing as to its production and continued existence to me i also feel that a formal letter of apology needs to be written to the cocteau twins for this song from (laughs) prince martika and anyone who has ever heard it um but like the the prince spirituality aspect is is interesting because I feel like he is able to engage with it without winking. But if it's other people trying to um, channel that that part of his catalog, it doesn't work. So that's an issue here. Um, there is some lamb squawking that is not should not happen. <laughs> and she also like I think the larger the largest problem. Um, and this is not the only um, low-ranked veteran of the Teen Idol tournament <laughs> from March Masses <laughs> about whom I will be saying this. Like a big part of my, um, not necessarily rankings, but like if a song isn't working for me, like this is a big, this informs it. And it's that she seems afraid to engage with it on Prince's level which is relatable, but also not workable for a person of her um, limited contributions. This song is an abortion and should not have happened. In my opinion, Mark, I sense that you want justice for Martika. I understand that generally, but perhaps not on the specifics here. Tell us your story. (laughs) Do you remember in some other recent ranking episodes where we've been like, huh, we pretty much agreed. Uh-huh. Nice. <laughs> that That is not the case <laughs> on today's episode. <laughs> and based on some other things that I just heard you say, I can tell you we'll be having this same conversation in just a few minutes no about good. another song. <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Okay. Let me set the stage. I was 12 years old in the late summer of 91 when this song came out and just like with the song place in this world by christian singer michael w smith and half of the songs on amy grant's heart in motion album i in my 12 year old 
cluelessness did not grasp that this was a song about spirituality. <laughs> I really thought it was love thy will be done as in you will be done in the future, not mm-hmm. thy will as in your desire. So right. I was like, I don't know what it means. Thy will be done. I don't later. You will be done later, love. I don't know why we're saying thy. <laughs> you really were <sighs> a Baptist, weren't you? <laughs> well, I mean, I was just like so irreligious at the irreligious at this point that I was like, I don't know. I just assumed all pop songs were just about love. So yeah. Later, of course, I realized that the song is very much about spirituality. I learned that Martika wrote a poem that Prince adapted into the lyrics. It's sort of hazy, probably for good reason, (laughs) how much of this song she actually wrote. Probably very little, ultimately, but who knows. But here's the thing. I love this song so deeply. I find it so beautiful (laughs) i just think it's the exact opposite of sarah i'm so sorry that i insulted it i just look i have i have songs like like this that i imprinted on when i was 12 that it's like "Mm, yeah are what so i don't and i don't feel like you insulted me and in fact i can remember clearly when i bought the single of this that my parents hated this song so (laughs) it's not like i haven't spent an entire lifetime knowing (laughs) i might be the cheese who's standing alone here (laughs) but for me This song, first of all, John, you are correct that there is a drum pattern in this song that never changes throughout the entire song. It is unchanging. But I find the interplay of that steadiness with the way that the vocals build and and on each other and the, the clapping and all of the other elements, I find it creates what I now identify in myself as a certain type of spiritual ecstasy. And I'm not even kidding. I know how that sounds, hyperbolic. Uh, next to what Sarah just said, but for me, that steadiness giving the space for the rest of the song to go wild is kind of a metaphor for how I feel about spirituality anyway, that Mm. this thing that you can count on is the reason you have the freedom to leap up off the base, because no matter how high you leap and no matter what you do while you're in the air, you'll know that there's this thing you can land on. So that That is an extremely convincing argument. Oh, well, (laughs) I'm not changing anything. I'm just saying... (laughs) Sarah, I, but like, the I buy it. part of that sentence for another song. <laughs> <laughs> that's very convincing for something that's good. <laughs> well, but you know, this yeah. is, this is a song that unexpectedly in my life I have found sort of a, like I just said, a metaphor for my own understanding of what spirituality is. Hmm. I also really like the vocal. I think that the music video is really beautiful. Um, and I just find that there's something very haunting about this song that really gets at something very deeply in me. And that section that I clipped where it's like, even when there's no, but like all of that, I just, the staccato element of it there. I love it. Y'all number one from me on this list. Number one, get out. It's the only, (laughs) it's the only song on the list that re that challenged and expanded my notion of spirituality. Therefore, it is number one. I mean, fair. <laughs> we like, don't, here's the thing. How about this? This is how Even it works we, on you. That's not like yes. That's not a yes or no prospect. It's how it works on you. Yes. I was repelled. That's not wrong either. And listen, it's fine. Here's the thing. If and when we have a Mastis prom and this song plays, I'll make sure that I play it while you're out in the parking lot. Great. <laughs> Doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Where'd the well, Patreons put this? Uh, the Patreons put it in seventh place. Mm, right. Okay. Um, so definitely, I 
put it higher than everybody else yeah. by some margin. Even Martika's <laughs> like, it's number three tops. You crazy for this one, Blanco? <laughs> All right. Well, Mar- Mark's the only one going to heaven, so we can move on. <laughs> I mean, but we already knew that. Did we have to go through the song to get to that? I don't think we did. <laughs> but, you know, some would say it's the valley of the shadow of death that you had to walk through. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Perhaps on a lighter note, now it's time for Prince's ode to going to work as though he were ever someone who had to do that. Mm. It's Manic Monday by the Bengals. Mm. We don't have a clip of this. I think that I had by design avoided this because it was just like a staple of Monday morning carpool drive time radio that was like it just ceased being cute after like six months. (laughs) <laughs> it's also really not i don't think it's terribly princey in the construction um these are the days when you wish your bed was already made is really an epic poem in my opinion um the relentless overplaying i i thought would punish this song harder but having probably not heard it in 25 years um i really loved being reunited with it that sort of like chimey opening the lyrics and um, Susanna Hoff's vocal just really give you that sense of like being in your early 20s and sort of like rushing onto the train with your hair still wet and everything's the worst because you're in your early 20s and like the world doesn't care about you and there are a million of you. Um, so I I thought that it was I thought that it was really good. I put it in fourth. Seven points. I agree with you almost exactly. I put it in fifth place. And I really do love this song. I also think the Bangles are an underrated band generally. They were unfairly dismissed as a sex pot machine that was mm-hmm. designed solely to focus on Susanna Hoff's mouth. Yeah. Uh, they are, in fact, quite skilled musicians, and they do a great job creating the California vibe of this song. And uh, yeah, it really is, I think, to echo what you said, Sarah. At least this is how I understood what you said. Not that princey. It's kind of an outlier in his catalog. Yeah. But that is also awesome because it just demonstrates that if Prince wanted to, he could write Joni Mitchell-esque 70s era mm-hmm. California pop. Yeah. Agree. So, yeah, that's that's my take on that. John? Yeah, I agree. I love this. Um, it's wonderful. Um, kind of a prettier cousin to 9 to 5. Um mm-hmm. The music just kind of pulls you along and keeps moving. You know, it never, um, there's never a pause where you get bored, I think. Um, it's not physically possible to not sing the whoa, whoa, whoa parts on yeah. every single chorus. I don't make the rules. That is correct. Um, and I loved revisiting the video and seeing the one, um, the one band member who looked like she rated Chrissy Hines wardrobe. Uh huh. It's so of its time. And yet, you know, still again, holds up after all this time. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm realizing is just, you know, you could, you can almost envision Prince having been given like a series of musical assignments or like here, write this with these parameters and he can do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's right. probably yeah, not how these totally. songs were formed, but it feels like they could have been. Um, yeah. so I rank this third, I, I think it's, it's, it's a perfect egg for me, but, mm-hmm. and I only didn't rank yeah. it one because there are two others I wanted to put ahead of it. But. Yeah. And I agree with you. And, and, and to go back to what Sarah was saying about its familiarity for me as well, it has not made the song harder for me to listen to. It's got 
an effortlessness about it that I still like. And uh, it peaked at number two on the Hot 100. And I should say that I Feel For You peaked at number three and The Glamorous Life peaked at number seven. I did not mention that earlier. I regret the error. Uh, but it peaked at number two on the Hot 100. And second place is also where the patrons put it. Oh, perfect. So we're all kind of right in a row there. I like that. Yeah. Uh, if I'm John, if I'm not mistaken, you care a lot about our next song, or at least have quite a bit to say about our next song, which is Nasty Girl, a hit song that nevertheless never charted on the Hot 100, weirdly, uh, because that video was always on, by Prince Protégé Project Vanity 6. Oh my god, I have so much to say. <laughs> my notes for this like section practically need a bibliography, but yeah. <laughs> um, this is where, you know, what I mentioned up top, Prince being a nexus of so many other artists really like really paid off um you know for example <laughs> allow me to quote a two-sentence paragraph from wikipedia <laughs> of vanity of the <laughs> vanity sixes wikipedia page the original trio recorded a few demos before princeman the then met the then named denise matthews a model and canadian b-movie actress in january 1981 matthew was rick james's date at the american music awards when prince persuaded her to join his girl group how is this not a 24-part Netflix series like right there? <laughs> I have so I'd many questions. Like, <laughs> Which B-movies? <laughs> oh, my God. And then I did a Jackson. little more digging and learned that this was actually a real beef between Rick James and Prince. Like It was actually Rick James's idea to put Vanity at the front of a girl group, which wouldn't have been she wouldn't have been called Vanity in that case. But Prince stole her. Uh, from him both romantically and business-wise. So James's answer was instead to form a different girl group, Mark, say with you, me if you know the words, the Mary Jane Girls. The Mary Jane Girls, our house. Yes, Amazing. my house. Yeah. Yes. Uh, also learned that Vanity would have been the star of Purple Rain instead of Apollonia if not for their breakup. Um, and Sarah, I know I asked Mark about this before and he had not seen it, but did you ever watch Vanity's Behind the Music? I may have, and I don't remember. Well, I think this is pretty well known that she became, you know, born again in the in the late nineties after As did Apollonia. You know, yeah, after basically almost dying of kidney failure, which would eventually kill her, but she had a kidney transplant, and then she, you know, kind of renounced everything. She stopped talking to Prince. She even gave up the royalties from you know everything she'd done uh, while she was with him, um, and. You know, it's really before we before I get into the song, it's really moving to think that, you know, I I remember that they died close together, but it's actually like only two months apart that she she her death preceded his. And I got to think that as much as a checkered past they had um, that had to have a real effect on him. Um, But I remember like the one quote I remember standing out from the behind the music and. I'm going to uh, take uh, uh, Angie Jordan's very good advice to Liz Lemon, which is don't do impressions of other races. But um, the words that she said were, if the Lord wanted me to talk to Prince, the Lord would put him on my phone. (laughs) That's a direct quote from the behind the music. I looked for it on YouTube. It is not there, unfortunately. Um, It's again like an ongoing tragedy that behind the music is not uh, available. It's not readily available. Yeah, HBO uh, Max, hear our cry. Come on. Please bring it please. back. Yes. Um, so the song itself, <laughs> let's talk about this. Before we get to the video, I mean, I know Mark is going to explode if, we, if he doesn't get to talk about the video soon. But um, 
in the eighties, I remember this song being really like really sexy. You know, it was, it was featured in Beverly Hills cop in the scene where they go to a strip club. Um, you know, there were a lot of songs that dealt with sex. Not many of them got down to it right this right this quickly. I think, um, although as I said, it is Prince. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of sex in his songs. Um, I literally think like the first note of this song is the best part of it, like that that big wow that just like pulls you in, and like the the big the intro, the hook, the first verse is fine, and then it really <laughs> falls apart. Like, like the second verse, I never realized this before, but is this weird drive-by aimed at sailors for their lack apparent lack of sexual prowess? Like I'm not sure how Prince came up with this verse. It's a little bit weird. Maybe the Navy picked, pissed him off somehow. Um it the full version is like I think about 340 and it definitely feels like it's out of steam like halfway through. Um yeah. I think it's built pretty poorly and comes off frayed and cheap by the end, which is a good transition to talking about the video. (laughs) (laughs) The video, which probably cost $40 at most, (laughs) I think. Um, (laughs) I really got the impression that the other two women behind vanity didn't even know what was happening, that they had been eating at a food court and that someone was like, okay, put down your curly fries and just come over here for a second. And they were like, okay. And then right as soon as this was over, they went to like a Claire's and got another, ta- I got another piercing. Like it was just, it was, I mean, it's, to it's me supposed to be the stat of like what looks like a strip club and vanity is like positioned a little, a, a little ahead of her two, um, her two backup singers. And they all look like basically like, you know, those challenges on survivor where people have to stand on like a tall pole. Uh-huh. <laughs> it looks yeah. like that's what they're dancing on basically <laughs> like the steps are like so so close together and so measured that they might as well not even be moving at all it's so cheap um and uh yeah yeah there's one where they do an outfit change which i'm not going to talk about the outfits mark because i know that's <laughs> i know you have a lot to say but um they walk into like each they walk into a separate each, each has a separate room and they come out but like there's such an obvious time break that if there were like a timestamp on it you would see a jump of like 45 minutes it's so bad it's really <laughs> it's really bad my feeling is mark and this is again for you this video walked so the video for exposés let me be the one could run <laughs> You know, ladies and gentlemen, John and I were briefly in Exposé. And uh, yes, John, you're right. <laughs> so why don't I throw it to you for, you know, you can talk about the outfits and also whatever you think about the song. But I know this is this has been in your mind for days. What did you what did about, you rank? Oh, it? sorry, Sarah. Did you have a ranking for this? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I um, I ranked it six. Uh, you know, it's not good. Um it's part of my DNA again. Um, so it's probably a little bit higher than maybe deserved, but I, I, I am who I am. I couldn't go any lower than that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, own it. I say, um, I need to talk about in the music video, the white girl does this little shimmy when she first emerges on the scene of the video. Like the first thing she does is this little shimmy. And you're like, that shouldn't have made it in. And also, why are you wearing such an ill-fitting nightgown with straps? And then the other girl behind Vanity, ill-fitting nightgown. And then later, for no reason at all, like uh, the the second outfits that you're discussing, 
Vanity is wearing uh, like a see-through teddy with a man's tuxedo coat. It, it, mm-hmm. it really boggles the mind. It's the kind of thing that would actually get you kicked off Project Runway before they even made it to the judging. They would just <laughs> immediately ask you to leave. I will say, too, I, like the patrons, put this song in ninth place. So it's not like I'm going to be singing a hymn on its behalf. I won't be singing a hymn as beautiful and spiritually deep as Love That Will Be Done <laughs> on behalf of the song. But I do think that the chorus is catchy enough because Prince is just was just an artist who could spit out a catchy hook without even trying. Um, so catchy enough. And the reason I put it one slot higher than Jerk Out is that it's two minutes shorter. Ninth place from me. Hmm. Um, I did not revisit the video. I didn't need to. I have a dollar <laughs> store in my neighborhood and I'm all set. Um, <laughs> I This is sampled apparently on Britney's I'm a Slave for You. Huh. And um, it is not, once I knew that, I was like, what is more interesting about this song than that fact? Basically nothing. Like, it's both very obviously a Prince product and completely overwhelming the narrators, so to say, um, who <laughs> were um, possibly selected for their fitness for this task, but may just as well have been selected for their docility. Um, it, and even the sort of like overtly sexy stuff is like, I just expect a little more Elan from the purple one. This is really trying um, to be nasty and controversial and it isn't sexy as a result, in my opinion. Um, But with that said, like I agree with John about the opening note, but it's a hell of an opening note. So, um, and also there was stuff that I had less use for on this list. (laughs) Obviously. So I put this in seventh, four points. All right. Well, again, that's ninth place for me and the patrons, seventh from you, Sarah, and sixth from John. Next, we've got another song that's been discussed recently on our show. That is Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. This was, of course, a four-week number one in 1990 and is the most successful Prince song that Prince himself did not perform when it was on the chart, if you know what I mean. It's the most successful Prince cover of all time. There is, of course, a Prince version with Rosie Gaines from the New Power Generation that if you're into the music world, you definitely know that version too. But Sinead O'Connor is still the definitive version. Um, We talked, Sarah and I, obviously, about this song at length just a few weeks ago. So I will just say that I stand by my love of this song. It is excellent, but it is also... I actually had a lot of trouble ranking this one on this countdown because I was like... We've already talked about it. I don't want its undisputed excellence to get in the way of some other things I'd like to think about. So I ended up putting this in fourth place and giving it seven points. The patrons, however, put it definitely far and away in first, which gives it 10 points from them. Mm. I put it in second. I don't recall precisely what we said in this regard when we did this ranker, but the ability to walk into this composition and decorate like she owns the place... um, while at the same time not trying to fight the purpleness of it all. That's a very, that's a gossamer thin tightrope and Sinead stays up on it. No problem. It's interesting to me that I think 
I felt like this song was amongst its album mates, not a standout. So I ranked it like second to last or something. But here it's just second nine points. Yeah. And it is, un- I, I, again, the only reason that I did this is because I was like, I just have some points I'd like to make about other things. But I, if you were to say to me, Mark, this is one of the best singles of the 90s, I would say you are correct. Mm. So I've got no kick with your rankings, Sarah, that's for sure. John, how about you? So if we had done this a couple of years ago, I probably would have been about the same. Um, but I think I shared this with you, Mark, some time ago, but there's a um, there's a live version that Sinead did of this song recently um, on on TV with a full like, you know, kind of backing symphony. Basically, you did send it to me. Yes. And she's in her full, you know, uh, hijab. Um, and it's a very different performance. It's far more uplifting. Like I remember um, Sarah talking about the rage of the song. And when she does it now, it's almost entirely transformed into something more joyful. And I think more metaphorical, you know, you could apply it as a metaphor for her journey to find God. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and you know, the kind of reinterpretation of this, the fact that it could have such a different meaning, you know, performed by the same artist at a different point in her life, um, is what made this unquestionably number one for me. Um, mm, so yeah. I guess, yeah, I, I remember you were talking about, uh, you know, how basically it was overplayed so much that you were done with it for a long time. And I feel that too, but I feel like I'm not done with the song yet. You know, it's still it's still building for me. Well, so. and the song isn't done with us, which really says a lot, not only yeah. about Sinead as an interpretive artist, but about Prince as a construction, as an engineering <laughs> prospect of yeah. song. Yeah, I agree. It really is just one of the all-time best examples of artist and songwriter fusing together perfectly. Yeah. And the, so- the singer is an artist who is authoring the song as much as the songwriter is, but they're both such strong authors that the magic of what they create together is undeniable. Agree. Well, next we've got a top 20 hit from 1990 by Tevin Campbell, who at the time was just a wee teenage boy featured in the film and soundtrack of Prince's big old flop movie, Graffiti Bridge, oh. uh, <laughs> with his song, Round and round. Now, this is another one where my age absolutely impacts my relationship to this song because it was so fucking cool that someone who was about my age had this song. And I really love New Jack Swing, and this is definitely Prince's take on New Jack Swing sounds. Tevin Campbell's voice is really supple and good. There are a lot of songs that I really like by him that he recorded after his voice changed. And here in his pre-pubescent era, I think he also sounds great. The the section of the song where he goes, one day I'll make it in the big city and I will sometimes a girl who's pretty like his little rap song. Awesome. Um, I've got no kick with this song at all. And as I have mentioned on this show before, but I will now say again, that opening note where he goes, that is part of the top chef theme song. So that's awesome too. It is an unexpected way that Tevin Campbell has retained cultural prominence and some would say near permanence third place from me eight points only sixth place from the patrons though five points john um it's fine (laughs) 
mean, <laughs> uh, I do like it. I do like nope. it. You know, the new Jack Springstone is is cool for sure. Um, you know, I guess I don't. You know, I don't see that much that I really identify with Prince in it, which is fine. You know, as we said, he he, he works. You know, kind of genre free. Um, but you know, the one thing it lacks to me that a lot of the a lot of his products have is 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 an urgency. Uh, to the to the song, totally to agree. the lyrics, to the music. Um, yeah, my notes say lacks intensity. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it just it, this was just not going to elbow out any of the stuff that you know that I feel like way more strongly about. So I put it in ninth. That's where I had it as well. Um, the it's it is an interesting one to think about because Tevin Campbell has at fourteen years old the necessary sort of youthful naivete to kind of run into the arms of a Prince composition and not sound like he's intimidated. But um, in older singers, like um, in an older singer's hands, it might've had a little more nasty life and a little more intensity, but it just lacked intensity. I forgot it seconds after hearing it. Um, And I think in that way, Tevin Campbell's youth cuts both ways with this composition. Mm. So I don't dislike it. I just could like, could not sing it to you. <laughs> like, and I, you know, I prepped this yesterday. Like that's, that's probably not great. So yeah. Number nine, two points. Very fair on both counts. I, I, however, got his first album from Columbia house. I remember very clearly. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to it and thinking, this is so beautiful. And then I remember also my parents asked me what I was listening to because like an asshole, I was sitting in the living room when they were talking to each other with my headphones on of my Walkman. And when they got me to take off my headphones and ask me what I was listening to, I remember thinking internally, I'm listening to something more beautiful than you could ever understand. Oh, boy. <laughs> For Tevin Campbell. I, yeah. Which is perhaps... <laughs> I mean, I sh- thank God I didn't say that out loud, or I would still be grounded and deservedly so. Um, I mean, at least you, you didn't say it when really... Nasty Girl was on. <laughs> <laughs> you should really see my teenage diary from the day Stevie Ray Vaughan died. Oh my God, <laughs> I should have. I should be killed. Seriously, <laughs> I was the actual undisputed worst. <laughs> Worst. <laughs> Speaking of things that are pretty bad, shall we move on <laughs> to Sugar Walls? <laughs> yes, a song that is interestingly, I think, only about candy. It absolutely is. It's about a. Um, it's about Big Rock Candy Mountain. It's about whorehound candy. Okay, Sugar Walls. Oh, Sheena Easton. Um. This is a very, very 1984 sound and does not travel the way that, like, usually Prince songs, it's like, this sounds like that time, but it also still works. Like, you would still build it the same. I don't think that's true of Sugar Walls, and um, I also don't think this probably should have been on the radio because I remember hearing it in Carpool and being like, but that's her... That's her hooch, right? <laughs> like, uh, we talking about anyway. Um, I apologize in advance, but I did pull a clip, and here it is.
I, I mean, waiting, waiting for the, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I don't get, he, here's what I don't get is what happened during the recording of this. Like I would love to read an oral history of this recording session that would just be Sheena Easton being like, eventually I just gave up <laughs> and lay down and let this arrangement trample me because I really feel like this whole Sheena Easton generally doesn't travel well. Like I like her songs, but it's definitely like, it's definitely a time capsule. And yeah, this is like, she just seems to be desperate to register against an arrangement that is d- too much for her. And, um, some, you know, filthy 15 marketing that's outside of her control. And, and like, aside from it being, about the vulva (laughs) what else is there like i just i i feel like his version anyone's version has to be better like i would rather listen to the teletubbies do this because at least they would be confident in it um number eight three points yeah uh, I put it in seventh place. Uh, the patrons also put it in eighth place. I think we're all in agreement here. There's just, there are artists in this world who have tried to be sexy on record who just should never have tried. Yeah. And Sheena Easton is one of them. Mm. God love and keep her. She's very talented, but she's, when you when your voice is the oral equivalent of vanilla pudding, you should not try to make it sound like it's, uh, devil's food cake. Yeah, if you know what I mean. like you know, that you're the poor man's Pat Benatar, right? Oh, if Pat Benatar had sung this song and they had put a bit more of a rock arrangement on it, that might have actually been pretty well, good. And Pat Benatar, I think, would have been like, "We need to tone down these lyrics so they'll actually play the motherfucker before ten thirty at night," and then yeah. it wouldn't be trying so hard. And this is another thing. Like usually, even when it's like very overtly stank. Like there are bodily fluids coming out of your radio. It's it doesn't usually seem this strained and unsexy. Like he finds yes. a way to make the literalism of it work, but she is not like she didn't drive in that lane, which is fine, but I wish she had not tried so hard. And it's interesting how Prince kept trying to push her into that lane. And then uh to reference a song that John, you referenced at the very top of this episode. With You Got the Look, it's actually better, I think, because yeah. Prince is there, too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, like spotting when, her, basically. Yeah, but when she's by herself, it's making me remember when Megan Trainer came out with this song called No, and she tried to be, like, sexy and and was trying to dance in a way that was just really uncomfortable. And it's like, just, just be who you are. Just, like, just stop. Mm. And uh, I... I, I'm just thinking about this really for the first time, but another person who was trying this at the same time but seemed to have more success was Olivia Newton-John, mm-hmm. who, you know, the song Physical is very dirty, but it's it's a little bit more playful, I guess, and not as explicit. And there's just something I believe more from Olivia Newton-John than from Sheena Easton in this lane. Yeah, I was good. Barely, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think Olivia Newton-John, or if you go to the you know really explicit side, let's say Stacey Q, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of them understood the assignment, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this yeah. is not, yeah, it, it just feels like, it, it ends up feeling like a novelty song to me because, mm-hmm. you know, she's not Absolutely. committing to it or basically, and, and I think you know, the fact that she is getting run over by the music doesn't help. Um, yeah, that's such a good way to put it. You're so right. 
I mean, you know, if you, she's got a pretty voice. I mean, she did a Bond song, listen to For Your Eyes Only. It's a little boring, but, you know, so she, but it, it's pretty. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's a little boring, but so she is could she. Really wear... And I love You Got the Look. It's fun. You know, it's, it's energetic. It's not, yeah. you know, hung up with what it's trying to, you know, get by the censors, basically. So, um, yeah, much like the part of the female anatomy the title references, this one does nothing for me. Uh, I ranked it dead last. Uh, number 10. <laughs> Ooh. And, and it's crazy to me that this song made it as high as number nine. I mean, uh, wow. Good for you. Not sexy. Sheena. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's 10th place from John eighth place from Sarah and the patrons and seventh place from me. And uh, that brings us to the final song on our list, which we also have a clip for John. Do you want to introduce this one? Uh, sure. This is uh, Cindy Lauper's "When You Were Mine," um, which was on her uh, debut "She's So Unusual" album, but was penned by Prince. And there is a Prince version that you can find. Um, but we are clipping, of course, the cover here. Um, so there's a lot going on, <laughs> not all of it works, but, um, this is an, uh, I think comparing the Prince version and this one, I think, uh, this one is a little bit more mid tempo. It's slowed down from what he did. And I think that gives the emotion of it a little bit more space to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I could be mistaken, but I think, uh, the way the, the way the song is composed, she's singing in two octaves at the same time for a lot of it. Um, and actually watched a, when she won the, um, best female pop rock artist at the 1985 American music awards, um, later in the, later in the show, she, uh, she did this song live, which I thought was interesting given, you know, it, it certainly was not, you know, the hit that, you know, uh, you know, time after time or girls just want to have fun or many other things were. Um, so the fact that she chose to do that, I thought was you know, maybe indicative of how she feels about about the song. Um, one of the, uh, you know, and in that in that performance, she starts in the low octave and then goes to the high octave. So, um, you know, Cindy Lauper can fucking sing live. By the way, <laughs> like I just want to note that, like you can see that performance. It's on the it's online still. Um, but I, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me even at the time is that she. Um, she keeps the pronouns in the original and the same gender, even though, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Prince, you know, obviously is male. Um, she does drop the girl from his like, oh, girl, when you were mine. But she still refers to the interloper as a he. So whoever, whatever, uh, the ob- whoever the object of Cindy's affection is, there's there's some gay shit going on, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I think was fairly bold for the time. Even though you know, I suspect Prince yeah you know, would have been all over the fluidity himself there. Um, 
you know, it's definitely, it's a little too long. Um, it doesn't bother me, but I could see that as a criticism. And some of the musical interludes are a little bit weird. Um, you know, there's one before the last verse that I think is just kind of unnecessary, but she really cuts loose at the end. Maybe, maybe a little too much even, but I feel like it is very authentically felt. Um, and it's one of the ones that I feel like just is like, you know, kind of a pet for me. So I rank this number two. Nice. Mm-hmm. And for me, and I know that uh, Adam Grossworth will be happy that you and I are both ranking this at number two, although I also know that Adam Grossworth believes quite strongly this song should be at number one. We hear you, Adam. <laughs> um, but I, I also have it in second place, nine points. And I just adore Cindy Lauper. I adore this song. I think that the new wave stank that she puts on it is so appropriate. And it is a mess in places, like you said, John. But for me, Cindy Lauper is so convincingly living in that mess that I just get the feeling like this is the only way she could think to express all of the feelings that she's having right now. And I love it. I love the joy that's inherent in the way that she sings it, even though it's a sad song. I love the sound of her voice. I, I just love it. And I, I think of it in terms of the song on this album, Money Changes Everything, which is another one where she just goes wild and starts wailing all over the place. And it just, it's great. So yeah. Oh my God. That video where she's like in the, you know, (laughs) in the crane, uh, you know, over the, over the crowd. Like you remember that, that concert video. Yeah. It's like you said, it's a, it's a delightful mess. Yeah. (laughs) So second place from me, second place from you, fifth place from the patrons, uh, Sarah, how about you? I had not heard this in ages. Um, I also noticed the pronouns, but like, because this came out while I was in school, uh, girl school, like uh, I always sort of interpreted this as like, um, kind of a girl world thing. Um, Mm. but with the benefit of distance, um, I I associate this song quite strongly with the mid eighties sort of like, um, Valley of the shadow of the AIDS crisis. And mm-hmm. I I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of that. It, maybe I'm projecting, and I I think this shows up on Pose this song, um, but um, so maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting that. Or she like has a re- she has a gay sister, uh, right? Cindy, so or yeah. sort of like retro projecting my association with it. Um, I totally agree with both what both of you said about like it. There's a lot going on. And it doesn't all work um but it also has to be that like she is just a little like messy and hoardy in her song builds and that's Mm -hmm. like that's just part of it but it's Mm -hmm. like why is there a fucking lawn flamingo in your toilet tank like well that's cindy for you um (laughs) where else are you gonna put it the sound well really come on it's a new york apartment um the sound is a little dated for me and like, but this vocal, like I have to respect that it grows on you. Like some of the ticky um, pronunciations like loy, like, uh, but that's just her. Um, and the delivery of kind of sort of my best friend is like, that is sort of just one of the most memorable line deliveries in eighties pop. Mm-hmm. I think um, this arrangement is very, um, is very busy but i think in a way that works for it and the lyric is very prince but she is able to sort of like 
assess the situation and then take control of it by the first chorus and watching Mm -hmm. that process and watching an artist be like, I am, I am giving the author and the narrator equal time in this, in this thing that I'm singing is is neat i don't know it's like it's fun to watch um yeah with that i agree said, <laughs> musically it's almost like the synth version of a hat on a hat like there's a yeah. lot going on with that, but, <laughs> the, yeah but it there, doesn't really matter in the end yeah I, there I, is I a lot agree. going on but it's like she is an artist where you're like well you need to take one thing off and she would be like oh so the whole outfit and then she's just like <laughs> naked except for one boot and you're like okay let me try explaining that again like don't don't bother like she does what she does um <laughs> I, I feel like ranking it fifth doesn't quite get at the respect that I have for this experiment, but fifth it is. Six points. And, you know, that's just how it happens in these rankings. Like, sometimes we things have to go somewhere. Somebody, yeah, somebody's got to be in the middle. So, okay, are you ready for our final tally? Yes. Drum roll, please. Yes. All the way down at the bottom. Oh, sorry, Sheena. Well, (laughs) but in dead last, largely because I liked Love Thy Will Be Done so much, (laughs) is is Sugar Walls. Last place, not very sexy at all. They took a licking. Oh! (laughs) And then they stopped. Yeah, don't don't get up. I'll fire myself. And then in next to last place with 13 points is Nasty Girl. Mm -hmm. And then. Tied for anti-third, I guess, is uh, both jerk out and round and round. So Love Thy Will Be Done, I Am the Only Reason That Song is in the middle. Uh, Now, third place, bronze medal goes to Ms. Sheila E. Mm -hmm. with Glamorous Life. And I do want to say that I think it's right and just that all of our top three are performed by women, by the way. Uh, third place, Glamorous Life, 28 points. Second place with 30 points, Cindy Lauper's When You Were mm-hmm. Mine. And first place with a six-point margin, and I cannot really disagree with this at all, Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. Yeah. No, I, I think this is And you is, know what? If I you think were this to sit is down correct. and just play those three songs for someone and say the same person wrote all three of these songs, you would be like, fuck, that guy, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to say that... Um, <laughs> Martika clearly needed the intervention of t- something. <laughs> and so I'm I'm happy for her that she's sort of right in the right in the anonymous middle n- never to be thought about again <laughs> by me. <laughs> she found some divine salvation from being last. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, unlike in the Teen Idol tournament, she didn't fall down like a toy soldier. <laughs> she managed to just stand upright for a minute. Bless her heart. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. 
Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at MarkAndSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah, with an H, TalkAboutSongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube